Now it's time for a musical discussion with interesting characters. My life, my music. They answer the questions, they choose the music. A musical discussion with interesting characters. My life, my music. Only on Radio Slovenia International. The guest in the program today, in his own words, is obsessed with creativity. Well, that is what Dave Burse has written on his website. He's here in Slovenia, so let's find out what he's doing. Dave, let me probably be the not first to welcome you to Slovenia. Thank you very much. It's uh, my first time here. It's lovely to be here. Sunny outside. Certainly better weather than London. Yeah, sometimes that's not difficult. Slovenia can be pleasant and warm and, and really nice to be in, and that's fine. Why are you here? What are you doing with your creativity? Well, tomorrow I'm, I'm, doing, a, I'm doing a full day session with a group of people from the marketing and advertising industries to talk about creativity. It's all about helping them unlock more ideas, I guess, and come up with the kind of ideas that they wouldn't normally come up with. So that's very much what I do for companies, which is part of what I do is is teaching companies how to come up with better ideas uh, for creativity and for innovation. How do you do that? Because you don't know what their business is, so you're giving them some kind of global approach rather than a specific operation. Yeah, I mean, people very often ask me, how can you make people more creative? And my response is usually, I can't. I can make people less uncreative. Because that's what it's about. Is, is stop everyone, them being negative. You can't make them positive, but you can stop yeah. them being negative. The, the one thing that kills creativity is fear. Mm-hmm. We were all born creative. And there's an amazing thing that happens round about the age of eight. So if you get to a five-year-old and you give them some crayons and say, draw me a space alien, they will happily draw you the most horrendous piece of rubbish and hand it to you with such pride because yeah. they've done it. You ask an eight-year-old, could you do the same thing? And they'll be able, uh, but what do you mean by that? What do you want me to do? I mean, he's better at drawing than me. Uh, what? Um, yes. I don't understand. And, and what happens is you start to get insecurities. And we start to get these layers of fear. And that's what happens over time through our lives is we start to get layers of fear that stop the creativity coming out. Mm. We still have the ability, but it's like a muscle. And if you don't use the muscle, it atrophies. It gets weaker. Are you against the current method of education? Very much so. I think that it teaches people what to think, not how to think. But then again, that's always been the purpose of education, is to churn out drones, is to churn out work units to go into the workplace. That's why governments fund education, is to make sure that there are human cogs to go into the corporate machine, to keep the economy running. They don't want to teach people to be big thinkers themselves, because that's not the purpose of education as far as government's concerned. That's a very political kind of controlled society that we all live in. It sadly is the truth. I mean, if, if you look at where education really came from, it was from Victorian times was where the structure of education came from. And if you even look at the way that terms are split up in Europe, is they're still based around harvests. So that we still have this industrialized version of education that was created during Victorian times where you've got what we'd call the sage on stage, the person at the front of a class trying to force information into the heads of people who are there. And education is broken in so many ways. When you think that when you're at school, you've got like an hour of maths 
on a Monday, and then you get another hour of maths on a Thursday, and then the following. Now, what you're doing is, is you're spending each lesson trying to recap on what you did previously. Mm-hmm. It's a horrendously inefficient way of teaching. So we should have Monday for maths and Tuesday for French and Wednesday I for geography. I think you should have two weeks, do the whole curriculum in two weeks. Oh, you, oh, and okay. make them achieve something. Non-stop. And show the kids you can achieve something and do something amazing with that in this period of time. I think that that's what we should be doing. I've got a, a company I've had for a few years where I've taught people how to code in a day. So from no understanding of coding, at the end of the day, they've handcrafted their own web page. Really? Now, that is actually not a difficult thing to do. And you can do it in a very short period of time, but at school, that would be stretched over an entire year. Yes, in bits. <laughs> Shouldn't use that word. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. <laughs> Dave, I asked you to choose music. Yes. Uh, music important? Hugely important to me. I, I was a musician for a few years, yes. <laughs> so where do we start, at least? Well, I thought the first track that I wanted to choose was uh, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. It was Simple Minds were the first band that I ever saw live. I was 15, and I had no one to go with, so I just bought a ticket, and I went along to this concert in a football stadium and sat by myself, and, and it was just an amazing experience. And then... Many years later, when my wife and I got together a few years ago, we did the equivalent of sharing mixtapes using Spotify. So we created a joint playlist, and my wife hated just about everything that I put into this playlist. It was all miserable suicide music, as she called it. And uh, this was the one track that she liked, and it's because she loved the film The Breakfast Club. Um, and this was the big track from The Breakfast Club. And yeah, Simple Minds, don't you forget about it. Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. I'm going to go just a little bit, because we're going to come back to education, we're going to come back to your creativity, because you've opened whole, you've done 10 cans of worms. Um, but let's, let's just talk a little bit about you and how you got to where you are. Where were you born? I was born in Glasgow. Fine city. I mean, yes. Particularly now, actually, it's changed hugely. It's a really green city and it's really blossoming. It's, it's great now that I've left. <laughs> I don't think that's the reason of it. <laughs> um, what sort of parents, where were you in society? Um, I was brought up in a very middle-class family in Glasgow. Where In Glasgow, it's a very sectarian city where you're, you're either vowels or consonants. So you get the people sort of linguistically who are vowels and they're, and then you get the ones who are just consonants. And like, I think those are the ones I've met. Yes, the, the Clyde Bank, there you go. Yeah. And um, by, by bringing these two things together, I managed to create something that was close to the, the, the Queen's English. Okay. Um, so was in, in Glasgow, grew up very sort of middle-class uh, background with, with the, the usual middle-class aspirations and quite a religious background as well. So considered to be quite sort of conservative, not politically, but conservative in terms of sort of outlook to life. Mm-hmm. And so you obviously broke away from, to some extent from that. Were you, did you enjoy school? Did you enjoy early years? I was pretty much top of the class through primary school, or at least in the top three. And secondary school came and it all changed because primary school is quite hands-on. Yeah. You're doing stuff. You're, you're poking your finger into the Play-Doh. Yes. You're, you're scribbling on the paper. Yeah. Um, and then you get to secondary school and it was sit down and receive this information. And That's I became like... Yeah, I became like Bart Simpson. I just, like, no interest. And, and went to be this guy who could get by by doing virtually no work whatsoever. 
And I got through school being able to uh, study the night before. So you passed a few exams, but yeah. you did that by your own willingness and effort to do it at the last minute almost. Yes, exactly. I wasn't very engaged. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt you before we go on to talk about specifically your area of creativity. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for another piece of music, please. Okay, well, my second one would be Nick Cave, Do You Love Me? Now, when my daughter, my eldest daughter, was a toddler, this was something we used to do together. I would play this song to her on the piano. And when it came to the chorus, where I would scream into her face, Do you love me? And she would turn back to me and scream into my face, Yes! And this became our thing that we would do together. So it became a song that had a lot of meaning for me because it was a way of bonding between myself and my daughter. guest in the programme today is Dave Burse, who is an amazingly energetic speaker. I think that's what I've gained so far in this very short conversation. Children are taught in, in ways which are not exciting. Aren't there not alternatives, I mean, you know, to education? Can we not be told a story? Can we not be allowed to draw, even if we're 14? Yes, absolutely. I, I believe that creativity is something. When, when schools say that they're, yes, we, we, we include creativity in the curriculum, what they mean by that is, is a total misunderstanding of creativity. It means that we've got an art lab. It means we've got a music room. Now, that's not what I would consider to be creativity. Creativity is something that needs to be included in all subjects because creativity really is problem solving. Yeah. So one of the issues that we have is a total misunderstanding of creativity where we need to split it at least into two things, where one is thinking and one's doing. So I don't see how the word creativity can be useful when it's used to describe the graceful movements of a ballet dancer on one hand and somebody putting post-it notes up in a wall in a business to solve a problem on the other hand. Mm -hmm. How can creativity cover those two different things? It shows that the word itself isn't suitable. So because we don't understand creativity, it's not taught properly. And one of the things I'm trying to do is demystify what creativity is. And I'm bringing in science to do that. So I'm looking at neuroscience and bringing in psychology, uh, behavioral economics, evolutionary psychology theory as well. And, and I'm trying to bring all these things together to try and explain to people how their minds work and how all of us are creative. The tools are up there if we just allow ourselves to use them. You've just spent some time talking about creativity. I want you to come to another piece of music and then we're going to come back and expand this and how education could maybe lead people toward that more. Mind you, maybe that would do you out of a job. But let's do the music first. <laughs> OK. Um, I chose Tom Waits' Jesus Gonna Be Here. Now, I was brought up very religious and I'm, I'm now an atheist, so I'm not trying to put a religious message down anyone's neck here. Um, but there's a line in this song that's become like a mantra to me. And the line is, I want to leave this place better than the way I found it was. And it's become something that I try and judge decisions by. Is it worth doing? That Will this leave the world a better place if I do this? Or does it have very little impact or a negative impact? And I think if more people had that kind of way of being able to make decisions, that they want to have a positive outcome. By the time they take the big dirt nap at the end, have they made an improvement to the world or have they just taken from it? A bit utopia, perhaps, because people want to make money. 
I'm a hippie, a bald-headed hippie, but I, I believe it's something that business really needs as well, is this desire to actually give back to society rather than use the only metric of profit, which I think that's why business is broken, because uh, selfishness is at the core. And I think when we put love before hate, when we put giving before taking, I think we end up with a better world and we end up with better business. Jesus gonna be here, Tom Waits. Great voice, that man. Great voice. Let me just go back into your education, because obviously you survived, as you said, and, and passed your exams by doing kind of vaguely last-minute work and having some intelligent understanding, obviously. You then went on to university? I did. I did a, a degree in computer programming and advanced mathematics. Um, okay. And then I did a postgraduate in marketing. And the amazing thing, the computer programming languages that I learned, they're all dead now. No one uses those languages Fortran anymore. Fortran and Algol. It was, exactly. And yeah, <laughs> Pascal yes. and C. And, and nobody uses those anymore. But God, it, I'm showing my age too. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, gave me, it gave me an interest. So when the internet came along, I, I was naturally able to understand HTML. And I very quickly, I started creating my own websites. And to me, the internet then became this amazing canvas, the most uh, accessible creative tool we've ever had. Mm. And, and I loved the internet for that. And presumably, you would say to business people that loving the internet is an important part of any business today. Um, yeah, I think it's also good to have a very healthy scepticism of it. Oh, sure. But I think there is a problem that a lot of businesses have when it comes to technology, is they focus so much on the technology that they forget that all the technology is is a pipe that gets information from you as a business to a human. And it's just a way of connecting humans. The most important thing is to understand the humans and the technology comes a way distant second. Do you think any of that is happening in societies? You can't be the only person trying to do this. <laughs> and obviously you are energetic and enthusiastic to do it, even if what you're doing you might see as a drop in the ocean or whatever. But the reality is that it needs to be spread much more thickly across a much bigger area. Yes, there are smart people are thinking this way. I admit that in most industries there is a terrible echo chamber. Um, and I've worked in those industries that get terrible echo chambers. So the worlds of advertising, I, I worked in for many years, advertising, broadcast, other media, publishing. You know, the, there's so much repetition of information and very, very little originality of thought. And what we need to do, whatever industry we're in, is when you start hearing the same things going round again and again, is to question it and say, why? Shake the tree. Is that true? So much of the time, people go into businesses. In their role within businesses, they're encouraged not to think. You know, if you think that, that most people at their desk at work have got uh, an office uh, cubicle and they've got a computer in front of them and a keyboard and a mouse, and that takes up most of the real estate in front of them. And what that says is that your import, most important thing here is to do, is to hit the keys harder and faster. I believe the most important thing that someone can do in business is think. Mm -hmm. Thinking and doing are separate tasks. Mm -hmm. And you don't do thinking by hitting the keys. You do thinking by going someplace and having a bit of time. But in businesses, you therefore need managers who will encourage people to use their thought. Uh, yes, and that's not really happening. We've got an, an, an increased interest in, in productivity. That's become a big thing at the moment, productivity and getting things done. Mm. And what that's doing is it's focusing people on doing 
which takes people away from thinking. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things I'm trying to bring that balance back again. More music. Um, my next track is Elliot Smith, Say Yes. Um, he, this is a guy who we lost terribly young, um, but he left some really, really beautiful music. I'm in love with the world through the eyes of a girl. The morning after. Just the title of this song, Say Yes has become a bit of a mantra for me again. I have these mantras, these things that guide my, my actions. And people would come to me with offers of, of, of stuff and, and I would generally say yes. Because to me, it was going to be an adventure. Yeah. And it's led to me doing amazing things. You know, it led to me being a, a stand-up comedian for the BBC. It led to me being a nude model. Really? It led to me being a, <laughs> a session musician. It, it led to me... Um, uh, becoming a university lecturer. You know, there's incredible things have happened because people have just said, do you do that? And I've not got the skills to do it, but I know I'll learn the skills as I go. So I say yes. one of those yes. people who believe you can do anything? I Pretty much. You can learn how to do anything. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can't be Leonardo da Vinci or you can't be maybe the very best pianist, but you can learn to play the piano. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, relatively. You know, it's, it's one of these things that, obviously, if you haven't got the time to put in the 10,000 hours... Um, you can't reach a certain level, but you can reach a level of competence pretty quickly. And in business, a lot of people don't do things because they feel that you have to have the knowledge before you do the action. But actually, we live in a world now, if you want to get all the knowledge, it's going to be out of date by the time you do anything. Mm -hmm. So it's best to learn as you do. You can get an overview from the internet and YouTube and other such places and it's then get on the train. It's incredibly powerful. I, I, yeah. I keep telling my, my eldest daughter this. Look, you can learn anything online, whatever you want. Yeah. There's lessons there for free. The future belongs to the autodidacts. Autodidacts are people who know how to teach themselves. We're always going to have to keep learning through our lives. Education is no longer a destination where you have the knowledge and then you can do. We have to be consistently learning through our lives now. So it's really important that we have the ability to learn, not just the ability to do. So all we need to do at school is to teach people to learn. I believe that that's the job of education, is, is to teach people how to learn, because that's more important than what to learn. We'll probably come back to that too. I don't know, I never know, because these conversations go elsewhere, <laughs> but I need another piece of music before we even think about it. Okay, this is probably... Like this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the most upbeat song that I've put forward. My wife is, is the one who's responsible for saying, look, don't just put in your miserable suicide music. Um, so uh, my wife and I, we both love Prince, you know, he is probably the most talented musician I can think of. I saw a video of him a couple of days ago playing bass. And when I say playing bass, I, I mean, wow, this is some of the best bass playing I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And you didn't know he could. Yeah. No. We've never I, seen that before. Yeah. Exactly. I, no. I mean, he's just phenomenal. Um, or, or he was, God rest his soul. And the thing about Prince, he's extraordinary, but also he was a bit different. You know, the whole title of this song, Let's Go Crazy, he was somebody who people consider to be a bit crazy. I've heard stories of him wanting a camel at three in the morning and, and, and not understanding why he can't have a camel delivered to his house at three in the morning. And I love people who are different. And I think we've got this terrible thing in society. I keep, I, I've been bashing businesses here <laughs> throughout this talk, but I think businesses, there's this natural thing that happens is what I call the draw to the center, mm -hmm. which is that people want to become like everyone else. Mm -hmm. They want to be within the confines of... security. It's security, but it's also they want normality. Now, 
I can't think of anything more horrendous than reaching the end of my life and having in my tombstone, he, he was, was normal. normal. <laughs> you know, is it not better to have something that he was, there was no one like him, he was irreplaceable, you know. And, and we've got this... Well, he was crazy. Yeah, I mean, crazy, but in, I, I think in a really beautiful and interesting way. I mean, he was a difficult person, clearly. Mm. Uh, but I think a lot of the most interesting people are. And I certainly I want to live life not trying to be like everyone else. And it's the, the key to creativity is not having the fear of what other people think. It's to be your own self and to allow yourself to express your ideas. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Prince, let's go crazy. You ended that with not having the fear of what other people think. Actually, it's none of your business, really. Let them think what they want. Yes. I, I, it's not very important, is it, what people think? It is to most people. Yeah, but it shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't be. Absolutely not. But Everybody um, has great strengths within them. Always. I really believe there is no exception. Everybody has great strengths. I wrote a, an article last week that ended up being very popular and got thousands of, sort of visits to this article. And it was about mental illness. And I was talking about how mental illness is seen as a terrible drawback. It's seen as this thing that makes you, I guess, less than human, you know, less than normal, um, subhuman in some way. And we've got these words that we use for it. it's a mental disorder, it's an illness, it's a condition. And all these things have this negative connotation. And I talked in this article about how in my 20s, I actually suffered from bipolarism. And to me, it was a superpower. And it was the most positive, incredible experience that turned me from somebody who was quite unengaged and meek and uh, procrastination-focused as a human to, at the end of it, having drive and passion. I came out a different person. It transformed me into somebody who wanted to change the world. Now, I've only relatively recently met somebody who's been through that same thing. Can it be automatically a positive end? No, if it's extreme. So you're lucky. I am lucky because I think there there is a certain balance where, you know, I, I did go out there so I wasn't yeah. part of the normal world anymore yes. and couldn't relate to it and people couldn't relate to me. So so I did have that, but I, I was very lucky that I managed to come back um, and, and to be able to take and the benefits of it. And you come back? I guess focus. Where You managed to focus yourself. My ex-wife told me that I should be Focusing, I, I wanted to get back into the advertising industry and she told me I should be focusing on that. And that, that gave me something that was a purpose. Within two months, I was back in the advertising industry where I'd, I'd created my portfolio to get me back in. And within five years, I was leading the creative departments of some of the biggest agencies in London. So, so it was a very, I was very focused and passionate. Now we know, don't we? We know that a lot of artistic people are kind of crazy anyway. I mean, if you look back in history, we can talk about all sorts of people, probably Leonardo, but certainly Picasso, um, certain writers and so on were on the edge of mad. And yet they create something special. So you obviously need to have unusual in your brain makeup. Yes, let, let's, there's a lot of people trying to create the connection between mental illness and creativity. Mm. And I, I try to divorce those things mm. because actually what it's about is about just not trying to be normal. So you don't have to have mental illness. You resist the pull to the centre. Okay. And, and that's all it's about. It's about not trying to fit into to normality. Mm. People who have mental illness kind of are, are forcibly removed from that. Okay. 
Um, but you can, by just embracing who you are and expressing yourself in a way that, that, that you aren't worried about other people, you can pull yourself out. So what age were you when you stopped giving a crap? <laughs> oh, quite late. I would say probably 35, 40. I think that's normal. Um, oh, what... I don't want to be normal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of the things that we find is, is, is we have this thing where we fetishise the idea of the incredibly talented, successful young person. But you find that most people that make a mark in the world, they do it in between the ages of 40 and 60. So there's a sense of, there actually is this natural thing that happens in your 30s about starting to become comfortable in your own skin. Mm. And then you're able to use that to start excelling. Mm. So I think that's a very natural thing. Let's move to another piece of music. Okay. We've been in this area a bit. I'm just looking at what you say the title is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is uh, Pixies, Where Is My Mind? Um... And I, I guess I, I'm a huge fan of of, uh, of Pixies. I've, I've seen them live a number of times. They, they're just are amazing. Man. It's so incredible. The guest today, Dave Burse, and Dave, you were talking about the Pixies and where is my mind? For this, where's my mind? I think we have got a renaissance of understanding the brain right now. Neuroscience is just doing incredible stuff. It's discovering how our mind works in, in, in all sorts of ways. That to me is really, really exciting. And some of the stuff we're realizing from this is that our brains are already wired for creativity. We're proving it through neuroscience. Have you been diagnosed with pareidolia? I don't even know what it is, so no. Have you ever seen a, a horrendous pair of 1960s curtains and seen a face in it? Yes. And, and, and seen face and like coffee oh, stains yes. and yeah, all, all right. So, so there you've got pareidolia. I've just yeah. diagnosed you. You've got that's what pareidolia is, yeah. where, where you see it's faces. Totally reasonable to me. That is our brain is a pattern spotting machine, and we look at these patterns and we see faces in those patterns. Now there's an evolutionary psychology reason for it. If you were an ancient Stone Age man and you're walking through the woods and you see something that looks like the face of a bear on the side of a rock, you'll get a huge fright, spike of adrenaline. You'll run but you're alive. It's fine. Now, if you're walking through the woods as an ancient Stone Age man and you fail to see something that looks like the face of a bear that's in the front of the head of a bear, there's a good chance you're not going to get out of there alive. So, so it's almost like a selective thing that, that's ended up being in our brains. But it is a, it's one of the forms of pattern recognition that we have got. And pattern recognition is a vital creative function. And I like to explain to people during sessions that they have got all the skills they need to come up with ideas. To me, this is stuff that we're finding out from neuroscience at the moment. And that really, really excites me. But finding ideas and being successful, particularly within business, for example, is about, to some extent, uh, being different as well. I mean, you have to do something that's unique, have a unique selling point, or else you're not going to outdo the other person, unless you just simply do what they're doing, but you do it much better. So what's the balance between being brilliant and being different? Yes, it's th- this hom- homogeneity is something that really disturbs me. When you when you go through the supermarket and all the shampoo bottles pretty much look the same, yeah. you, you, you look at cars in the street and, and most saloon cars look exactly the same. You can't yeah, tell from the side. Probably for technical reasons like aerodynamics and stuff, they've all been developed in wind tunnels. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is important to be 
to have a difference. And it's something that I'm actually writing a book about at the moment. Um, I've got a co-author in the States and, and we're looking at something that we call iconic advantage. And this is about creating that point of difference. And there's three parts to it. Um, first is getting noticed. So it's creating your noticing power. And that's something that people will look at and they'll be able to see the benefit of your product very noticeably within it. The second is staying power. And that's all about getting into people's hearts. So that's about creating an emotional connection with people. And then third, you've got scaling power. And that's getting your product out there, making people, making sure people see it and that it's available. So there's these three different elements to it. And this comes from some research that uh, my writing partner did with BMW a couple of years ago, where they looked at the world's top brands that were the most successful iconic brands over time. And then Soon and I worked together to, to create this theory mm-hmm. on that. So we're just, within the next month, we'll have finished uh, the first draft of this book that's actually looking at this exact point of how do you create difference mm. that is meaningful difference for a company that mm. will add value. You obviously have to appeal to a subconscious that people are not o- overtly aware of in a way. You have to do something that makes them see a pattern. Perhaps. That can help. That certainly can if you're looking at things from a graphic, graphical point of view. Um, but there, there's other things like uh, Harley-Davidson try to... Uh, they try to patent their sound. They try to yes. trademark the yeah. sound of, of the beautiful V twin engine sure. that they have. They failed, but they tried. Mm. Um, that, that there's other little things like BMW cars. They've got an engineer who specialises in the sound that a car door makes when it closes. Oh, really? That that this that soft gives, clunk yes. rather than a click click and uh, or a bang bang or a rattle run. Yeah. And, and you yeah. notice it when you close the door yeah, of a BMW. Yeah. It's yes. beautiful. Yes, it has a psychological effect. All of the elements together, even if you don't openly or obviously notice one thing, the combination of so many elements of sophistication, because that's what it is, uh, obviously works. So we call these things signature elements. Okay. And they they can be visual, they can be audio, you know, they they can be a smell, they can be a taste, Mm -hmm. they can be that sort of walking past... Uh, Dunkin' Donuts yeah. or, or walking past Lush uh, and, and, and you get this sort of smell. A great traditional bakery yeah. for me would be better than Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> nothing personal Dunkin' Donuts, guys. It's honest. It's just a personal thing. <laughs> now, it's interesting because you, you obviously, with your study of... It's a mix, isn't it? There's all sorts of things that have gone on there. Yeah. And that's because of your fortune of the different jobs and tasks you've taken on board, I guess. And that gives you little experience in so many extra spheres that you can put that together and give somebody a... Well, you need to consider when you're designing something the smell and this and, and the way you talk about it. You, you have that element in you. And because... Um, as I said earlier, I, I like to say yes. That's given me an incredibly broad experience. Mm. So I've I've done so many different things. So in the advertising industry, I've been a writer. I've been a, a, a designer. In fact, I've been a head of copy. So the head of words. I've been a head of art at <laughs> another agency. Um, I've uh, worked in design agencies. I've done digital. You know, I, I understand a lot of this. I understand the science of it. And, and the whole thing, what it comes down to is almost like a crippling form of curiosity that I've got, which is this ability to be fascinated by the history of Victorian guttering or, or, or some <laughs> yes. other, other so, incredibly niche thing. Yeah, yeah. But you've done so many things, therefore you can't have done any of them for hugely long periods, years, but not tens of years. Um, 
is why? What makes you say, I'm fed up with this, we're going to something else? Is that what it is? There is a certain amount of that. So, I mean, I was in the advertising industry for 20 years and ended up becoming creative director of some of the biggest agencies in London. Right. And throughout, through my career there, I still did multiple things. Okay. So I did uh, words, I did pictures, yeah. um, I, uh, I, did, I, I worked in different kinds of agencies, sometimes doing TV ads, sometimes doing digital, sometimes doing direct mail, yeah. um, you know, PR. And, and I just tried to learn as much as I possibly could. Mm. And it's this saying yes to the stuff that's just slightly outside your skill set causes you to learn more. Yeah. And for me, actually, the, the one thing I've learned now is I no longer want a comfort zone. Yes. <laughs> Dangerous place. It's where the fun is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it treats treat the world as if it's uh, some kind of extreme sport, I guess. Wow. So, so. <laughs> Next piece of music. Only two okay. Left. Now, Chuck Berry was a real influence for me as a, as a teenager starting to learn guitar. But then when I became a session musician, there was one piece of advice of Chuck Berry's that I really took to heart. And that was, if you make a mistake, do it again. People will think you meant it. <laughs> now, that is genius. It works. As a guitarist, when you're doing stuff, it works. You play that first note and it's the wrong note and you do it by mistake. And people go, ooh. You play it again, people go, Oh, you play it again and people go, oh, it's a mistake. So that's clever. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I would do this and I would sometimes deliberately play wrong notes just to get this effect, to see the audience go through this. <laughs> so the, um, I really learned from that and I took that as something throughout my careers, the different things that I've done again. Yeah. Learn from mistakes. Mistakes can be incredibly powerful. But as businesses have tried to get rid of mistakes, what they've done is they've created processes, which means that people are doing jobs that don't require thinking. Mm. And if your job doesn't require thinking, it can be automated. So if you want to actually have a career in 10 years, 20 years time, I would advise you to do a job that requires thinking. spoken a lot and we're pretty close to the end of the show only one piece of music left i really need to ask you whether there's something that you're desperate to do or don't you know it just falls in your lap or, or jumps up at you i feel like the luckiest guy in the world and and luck to me is, a, is an attitude and, and luck is when opportunities come around doors open and, and you open it mm. and see what happens mm. and, and it's led to me doing some stuff that i just can't believe that i've done like a couple of years ago i I wrote, directed and presented a six-part TV series in the UK wow. that was just because there was an opportunity and I said, yeah, I'll do that. I have no idea what my life is going to involve, but I know there's lots more interesting stuff. How does your wife put up with that? She's very patient. She's also, I'm very fortunate that she's, she's creative herself. She's a, a screenwriter and producer and director. Um, so she understands that no, there, there's difficult people like me and in the world. She's from another part of the world, you told me. Uh, yes, she's American, but her family are Haitian. Oh, okay. So we've got a lovely sort of cultural mix of... Oh. And we live in London, so, you know, <laughs> Scottish your family. your kids are British or what? Um, yes, British, yeah. yeah. Are you travelling them around and um, showing them the world? Yes, I, I mean, to, to an extent. Um, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a 17-year-old oh. and a 2-year-old. So oh. <laughs> different okay. ends of the scale. Great stuff. You're really exciting to listen to, and, and I can see why you're 
coming to places to en- engage people and to excite them. I mean, I think absolutely right. And, and be excited, chaps. There's lots to learn. <laughs> Where do we end the show? Well, my last piece of music is Little Walter, a tune called Duke. Now, this was the only harmonica instrumental ever to make it to number one in the States. Not that there's that many harmonica instrumentals, to be fair. but well, Larry know. Adler from the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was, this was blues harmonica playing, and the harmonica, to me, I think there's a really important lesson from this instrument. If you don't mind, I've got one here. Okay. Um, Here's the, one I prepared. Okay, so th- there's, there's ten notes. Yep. And when you blow, you get one chord. When you suck, you get another chord. Okay. So this is an A harmonica here. So that means when I blow, I get a chord of A. Mm-hmm. Now, the blues guys didn't do that. What they did instead to play it was they sucked to get the main note, which means that this actually doesn't play in, in A, it plays in E. e. So okay. by sucking, I'm playing in the key of E. And that opens up opportunities. So you only suck? Um, you, you, you blow as well, but sucking is your main it's note. It's the main part. Um, and that opens up opportunities, like the ability to, to bend notes. So... That's the same note. I'm sucking in it, but I can bend it. Two semitones. Done. And this bending is what gave the blues its sound. And it meant that they were able to... They were able to get that really bluesy sound going on. Now, this was a kid's toy. That's what the harmonica was. And by using it the way that it wasn't designed to be used, creative opportunities came around from that. And there's a lesson for business that stop just trying to do things the right way. If if a new piece of technology comes along, don't necessarily use it the way it's supposed to be used. Mm. Try abusing it. You know, use it for something it's not designed for. Interesting stuff happens. Mm. There's a lot of products that have come around from the, the side effects like Viagra was actually for hair loss and then didn't it was for uh, no, it didn't work for me at all uh, you can see I don't use the drug um, and, and then uh, heart uh, disease as well and then only the third use of it was what's become popularised for um, Listerine I think that was the fourth use the first use was for cleaning linoleum oh really? yeah it and wasn't then even the, a medical product no I think the second use was for softening bunions um, oh, really? and, and now it's, it's uh, soft you know now it's mouthwash so don't necessarily use things the way they're supposed to be used that's when you start unlocking the creative potential and stuff so I'm a big fan of uh, harmonica big fan of the blues and to me this is a song that just makes me want to run outside and high five a stranger amazing stuff David Burse thank you very much indeed Thank you.